The podcast and players, everybody. Oh man, you've been waiting. I've I've gotten hundreds of letters from people all over the world. I've had to go through legal battles. I killed a man in self-defense, but now I think I'm finally ready to introduce uh, one of the coolest guests that I think I'm ever going to have on this show. Uh, we've got a man who needs an introduction, but just in case you don't know, he's been doing D&D stories for many, many years. He has, I think he's up to like in his late 50s of numbers of Tales from My Podcast, or sorry, Tales from My D&D Campaign, and he's also got his own podcast, uh, where he does lore uh, streams and art streams. Please, everybody, give it up for Demonac! Greetings. <laughs> is it is it Demonac or Demonac? It's Demonac. Okay, like yeah. Almanac, right? Something like that, yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no good origin for the name. I just wanted something that sounded like a blatantly evil overlord. That's what I went with. Looks at notes, crosses off first question. Okay, yeah, that's out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll be surprised, though, because like most people don't have like a really, quote-unquote, smart... Uh, name no, or the most people's name is something they chose when they're twelve, and they were using it for however many years. Yup. So, yup. I mean, it's my like original email address from sixth grade. I'm not gonna share it because I still use it, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's the same sort of thing. People are like, "It's that's your email address." I'm like, "Don't judge me. Don't judge me, Sparky Kitten XXX." you know, whatever, like, yours was in sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I had an email address in sixth grade, because in sixth grade, it was 1990-ish. <laughs> because, because, as we've all figured out by now, I'm the old one. You're the old guy. That's fine. I just turned 30, and I felt like the old guy. Maybe bringing you on is my way of trying yeah. to feel better. <laughs> just like hedging there, you know, just adjusting nah. the bell curve. No, but uh, I'm glad to have you on. We've uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover because mm -hmm. I want to know about like the origin or story of Demonac. Not not just the name, but like what got all this started. Like let's let's dive in for anyone who's listening who doesn't know. Like how did you get started in making D and D? So content? sometime uh, the reason I had 1990 on the mind there is because I was trying to figure out when the hell like what the hell year was it when I was in around grade six because sometime around grade six or seven a bunch of my friends in school so we're like I don't know like 11 or 12 or something someone someone got the second ed second edition like D&D &D books and we just started playing and I honestly I don't remember a lot of details of stuff that we did back then it's all kind of blurry because we were, your, your, your brain hasn't fully formed. Like, your brain hasn't fully, fully formed until you're in your early 20s. But, like, 
when you're 12 or 13, a lot of those connections just get pruned off. Like your brain just throws them away because like, that's not helping out. I don't need to, I don't need to remember what my literal first D&D character is. I don't know. But we were, we were playing D&D back then and we were making terrible rules decisions and misunderstanding things. All I remember is that we enjoyed it and we enjoyed it enough that it stuck with me and I wanted to make worlds and do stuff. I remember... I remember the first the first game that I GM'd. I was like, okay, I have this campaign idea. It was this incredibly terrible, like whatever, 13-year-old or something like campaign idea. It was like I drew up a map and there's like some castles and stuff like that and some things to do. And they met up with like a Terminator from the future. And yeah, this brilliant genius idea. I was so creative at the time that my Terminator from the future came with like a loser not Terminator guy from the future, just like in the movie. And it was so terribly described. They knew that he was like the Terminator was very strong because he used a two-handed weapon in each hand, walking around. Very cool. But very cool. Was, yeah, thirteen-year-old cool. Yeah, but it was so poorly executed that we were halfway through before they figured out that I meant Terminator like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, not like a Warhammer Forty Thousand Terminator, which is a giant armor suit. Okay. So, so there is. I started early on. I had lots of ambition, no talent, and just kind of like went from there. But you know, I played I played tons of D and D just from there on, basically through high school. Played a lot of Magic: The Gathering and stuff too. Hell yeah, Magic! Woo! Yeah, got all that stuff. Went to university, found different people to play D and D with, and just kept going there. And sometime after I got out of university, I was I didn't get a I didn't get a job in my field, so I was like working crappy retail jobs and stuff like that and i needed like a creative outlet so that's when i started my my dnd web comic i had this idea like i'd i had read like knights of the dinner table which if you've ever seen it that's a very old like comic books yeah, i've they, heard they, of it i might have read a little bit of it i don't yeah, they're comic books. Quite what it was. it's it's about as ugly as another gaming comic although it's obviously like drawn in pencil it's a bunch of it's a bunch of You'd recognize it if you've seen AGC because it's it's a bunch of like cartoony people sitting around a table. I had this, right. and I didn't. I really liked something about what they were doing. It wasn't. I was. I knew every time I was reading it, it was like this is not how I would do it. But I really liked that idea that you were covering. You had the people around the table, and that was a story. But there was also telling stories in the game that they were playing. I really liked how you could do a back and forth there. So came up with the idea to do my own. And part of the idea was, well, you know, I'll go back and forth. They always showed the, all of the people sitting on the same side of the table. And that bothered me for some reason. Because it's a rate, because you can see all the characters, but that means they're all sitting on the same side of the table. What the hell is going on? Yeah, so yeah. in the early, another gaming comic ones, I would, you'd have the back of the head sometimes. I'd alternate pan panels so you'd see like, this is like the front of two of these people and the side of the GM. And then they would like flip back and forth. Yeah, I think you still do that for your tales uh, series too. Like you, you zoom out of the game. I, I have, I have, I like to, I have the picture of the table that has, I just use the characters instead of like the players for the pictures, but a picture of the, the characters sitting around the table that I like to show sometime when we're talking, when we're saying clearly out of character stuff. I, I like that though. Cause that, that there's never any confusion for who's talking. It's kind of nice. Not anyway. I think there was a lot in some of the early to, especially some of the middle episodes. But more in the more recent episodes, I started showing. I just made these portraits. I put the thing and I put the players like Twitter if they had one or just their name, like little one players. Just yeah. goes by Paul because he doesn't have Twitter. 
but I, I liked uh, having uh, those up there. Now it's a hundred percent clear if someone, if something is just out of character and I put up the little like portrait and you can see, Oh, that's angel saying that out of character. Right. Right. It's never going to be perfect because there are a lot of times that the things that people say around the table, it's not clear whether it's in character or out of character. It is kind of a judgment call. It's kind of, it's kind of both like they're, it's more like they're in character breaking the fourth wall. Is like, you gotta decide for yourself. But uh, that's fair. Fun stuff. Anyway, I made that I made that web comic, which was a hundred percent just I wanted to tell this story, and I thought if I made it a comic, people would somebody would ever actually look at it because if we just like if I just posted it as a blog, no one's ever gonna read these things. If they do, they're never gonna find them again. And I was doing that when I was crazy when I started out. Like I was, just, I was like writing the scripts on the bus on the way on the way to work and on the way home. And I get home, I get out my paint and like I copy and paste in Paint.exe these ugly characters and stuff like that, and fill in the text. And when I started out, I was doing it like every day. And now there were a lot short. There was a lot less text in those early ones, but it was still totally unsustainable. So it went on through and i did that for years and years it just got less and less frequent it was like it was every day and then it was like okay it's gonna be three days a week right monday wednesday friday and then mm-hmm. then it was like two a week and then one and then by the end the reason it kind of like crapped out at the end was i got really burnt out and at that point it would been it had been like two months between strips <laughs> so That's... eventually that crapped out and i couldn't do that anymore and but i was when i got back in a D game in uh, in town here then I just like, I still had to make something. So I started thinking, oh man, I could, you know, I could do this thing on YouTube, right? I could just put up like clip art to like show vaguely what's going on on the screen. It's the exact same thought process. It's, well, I could just tell a story somehow, but if I put pictures there, somebody will actually watch it. And that's, that's just the whole plan. And it just kind of goes from there because once you start doing it, I can't help I never found it like the purpose was to just find the easiest way to do it. The purpose was to find the way that I could write the stuff and perform the script or whatever, and then illustrate it in the simplest, least time consuming way possible. But I can't actually do that because the more I'm able to do, then I know while I'm able to do that, that means I can probably, if I can do that, then I could probably do this, which is a little bit more. And that's just how my brain works. So I'm just always pushing to make it more and bigger and stuff. Yeah, that I feel are, that. I feel that. <laughs> you you can really tell it's not necessarily helpful. There's like there's a decent chunk of the audience that would prefer that I could keep it stripped down more and just get it out faster. Well, like everyone wants it faster because it's incredibly slow. But I can't help but always be trying to make it a little bit more. Like I can just because there's yeah. always. The vision in my mind of what's going on is very cinematic. I'm like the like camera angles and stuff like that. Yes. And I'm thinking, what what would this look like? I want this crazy action scene. And there's a reason that I have this tendency to focus way too much on and fights against one powerful enemy, even though it that's really hard to do well and usually isn't done well in my games. D and D is not a great system for that usually. Right. Certainly not without a lot of work, but I'm always trying to do that because that's always the image I have in my mind. It's like they're going to go up against this super powerful guy or thing or whatever and have a crazy boss battle and stuff. And then half the time, half the time, the boss just gets obliterated because of the action economy. But keep trying. Yeah, it's I there's a lot that you said that I, I totally agree with, with like that was sort of how I, I looked at it at first, too, because 
I read today uh, on Discord that you said that you use Adobe Animate, and that's what I started out with as yeah. well. I kind of screwed around with it as a teenager, mm-hmm. but then like I kind of got back into it after uh, I got back from being overseas, and I bought a tablet because that's the other thing. You use a mouse too, right? Oh yeah, insane. You're insane. You need to get I'm, a tablet. Why? You have to. You have to understand. I am. I don't have that kind of art background. Like, yes, I I drew stuff all the time when in grade school, but I just really do not have a background of doing art. My background is more like computer science. So I think of I think of things in a much more mechanistic way, and not necessarily in that tactile sort of artistic way. So. I animate is what works for me. Like I, I'm not drawing anything in the traditional sense. I'm just, my, my process is really just, I like drop a rectangle or a circle on the screen. That's basically how you start out and animate. And then you can just, you can grab a corner or you can grab the middle of the line and create a new vertex and stretch it out. And you just keep stretching and twisting. You can, you can take that line and you can curve it in or out and you bend things. And it's You're like a sculptor more than a, yeah, and that's I what I was going to say. It's like it, it is it's just like sculpting, except sculpting in real life is very difficult and very tactile. Sculpting in like Adobe Animate isn't is super easy in a sense because and no, and you have 200 undo levels. Yeah, yeah. So I just keep bashing this thing until it starts to look like what I want and then try and put some like finish on it and then move on. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I, I Well, I, I guess... For me, the translation between so you're talking about when you were a kid, you used to like draw stuff all the time, and like that's oh, yeah. all I did was doodle. I got in trouble because in school, all I would do would just be doodling on the margins of my stuff. I'd doodle on tests, yeah. and then they'd write in big red letters, "Don't draw on the tests." Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been someone who who draws, and like I I cannot practice. I have like ADHD, like. You couldn't force me to practice drawing, like it won't happen. But if I'm bored. That'll get me to draw because I'd rather draw than be listening to you know mathematics or whatever the hell I was learning. So I I have a I have a pretty hard time practicing too. I mean, in practice, I'm just always working in a, inefficiently. <laughs> I'm always working, but it's inefficient because I'm always working. But yeah. uh, I don't I don't do a lot of drawing things for fun. There's all kinds of stuff that I want to draw and sketch out to so that I'm a little bit closer if I want to move and do a future project. Because of course there are a million other things that I want to be doing. Yeah, but yeah. And, and I have to get ready for the 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 big the the current arc of TDDC is going to come to an end in some fixed number of episodes, and at that point I took hiatus on that game, and then with the same people we went and we just created a new party and start, went to a different place in the world around the same time, just in case there could be a little overlap in theory, but mostly they just went different places in the world because there's plenty of world left. Right. But I mean, that means at some point I've got to get myself, get my assets in order and draw like the new party and stuff like that. But I have a hard time doing that because I'm always too slow on the current episode and I need to keep working on that. So it's a lot it's, of it's an opportunity cost that's just it eats away at your soul. You know, like I started yeah. this year. Um, I, I'm, by the way, all I was going to say earlier was that uh, getting a tablet like I got some cheap, like $60 Chinese knockoff tablet that I've been using yeah. for two years and. The translation, it's basically just another mouse that you hold differently. That's all. Uh, for me, it just makes things a little easier, and the translation wasn't so bad. But I was going to mention that, like, I ended 
or I started this year by releasing my third episode. I'm only on episode three of my, my shit. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, Adobe Animate, love you, but you crashed like 20 times during the production of this episode, probably more, and I lost maybe a good three days of work. Are you doing the whole thing in like one like animate thing? No, or... I split it up into chunks. Cause, yeah, okay. Because I'm because I've I've gotten back. I I always use animate for the sprites, but for a lot of most of the run of TDDC, I actually did virtually no animation, like proper animation, even in animate. I was moving I was moving stuff around in Premiere, just mm -hmm. tweening junk in Premiere because again the very low level of animation that was involved in like the first 30 episodes of TDDC with a couple little exceptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, nobody's expecting Walt Disney from us, you know, like, no, and especially in early episodes. Yeah. As long but as now, now I've gotten us. more into again, because over time, my, the level of things that I, I don't want to say the level of confidence because I always have a hundred percent confidence in what I know I can do. That's the, mm. I'm, I have like a weird mentality that way. Like I have a very firm idea in my head of, this is what I'm capable of. And then there's sort of, if I can do this, there's obviously not that much difference in going that little bit further, doing that 20% cooler thing that I yeah, want to do. Incremental, like right. When I get there, I can see how I could do that. So then I go ahead and I push the envelope that much. But so it's not really confidence thing, but still it's like in terms of just knowing what I can do. Well, what I can do is increased a lot over the almost 10 years that I've been doing this so yeah yeah now, now as i'm doing a lot of things that are there are section segments that are way more like animated in the traditional sense now i am doing a lot more like exporting those from animate in those just like little chunks like five seconds three second right. chunks and like and slipping those into my giant premiere timeline my big thing is i just hate adobe I hate how their products work. I mean the feel That's of animate's kind of nice but i'm like i'm at a point where i'm over it so I, after I did this last episode, I'm like, I need to learn something new. And then I saw Worthy Kids release a bunch of stuff and say, hey, this is all on Blender and it's all free. And then I saw yeah. um, Chris O'Neill, like a Newgrounds animator, release a tutorial for Blender. And I was like, I really want to learn this because it's free and it has 3D capabilities. And so I was like, all right, pause on the Peace Guild, pause on the series. I'm going to make another little animation. And I'm going to do it in full color, and it's going to be three minutes long, and it's going to be all in Blender, and I'm just going to fucking learn the program. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to focus on that. And I did that. I'm like, that's not enough. I need to learn a post-editing program that's not Blender so I can add effects and all sorts of stuff. So then I did a tierless video that was 30 minutes long. I'll never do that again. I hated it. Uh, it was too much work. Too much work. None of yeah. fun. And then <clears throat> now I've learned two things. The last thing I need to learn is Clip Studio Paint which is like actually like a painting program. And I feel kind of yeah. like how you say, like, I'm not an artist. I can't use that. Like, I don't know how don't to like know. paint. I, like <laughs> I when a lot of that time when the people who are like, cause we know a lot of people in the community now who are great artists. They're like fantastic artists. Most of them, I think they spent a lot of the time drawing like characters constantly. And I was drawing junk that I could draw, which would be like robots and ugly looking like boxy cars because that's the kind of stuff that i drew but they were spending all that time on art and i was spending all that time building lego basically and then as soon as we got a computer i was just like playing computer games the whole time because <laughs> yeah lost a lot of time to that too <laughs> yeah so i've just a much i have just i think a much more like mechanistic brain like i want right angles and 
things that's, there. Well, I mean, that's pretty... what makes your content really cool and unique. Like, I don't really see that sort of approach. That's like at least artistic. Like a lot of the more, I guess, mechanical thinkers will say, don't even bother with art. Like they'll just, it'll just be man talking to camera. Like, yeah. this is how you can build a character, blah, 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 blah. Or let me tell you about the lore of blah, blah, you know, it's like, yeah. that's fine, you know, but those are, I mean, you see those everywhere. It's kind of like a dime a dozen. What you do is actually you make your own assets. Like, yeah, you use some yeah. clip art early on, but like you are like making your own shit. You actually put a lot of work into it. Mm -hmm. I and mean, that's, that I, can't be, I, I can't be diminished, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's starting it's starting it's starting to look pretty decent like i like how it looks i'm self-deprecating all the time about my art that doesn't you mean are. that i don't like how it works it doesn't mean i'm not proud of it that's just like my response honestly that's a, in large part that's my response to praise i just have like i the way i again i'm very confident in what i know i can do i don't necessarily I, praising me is hard because if if your praise is beneath is below the level that I think I am, it's like oh yeah, that's pretty good. I'm just like yeah, okay, I know it's pretty good. You're you're saying that to me doesn't mean much. But if your praise is above the level that I think I'm at, then I'm like well now you're just being silly, and then I'm going to respond hard. with self-deprecation. Yeah, I like, feel that. Oh my too. god, this is the yeah. greatest thing, and it's like yeah, it's pretty good. And then I'll like come up with some counterpoint just to sort of even out the scales yeah it's almost an obsession with being humble like i don't want to get an ego i don't want people to think i i think i'm better than i, I am i don't think i have that at least that's not my mentality I, it probably comes off exactly like that okay but, is it just recognize yeah. like i think you just recognize your limitations like you know what you can do and what you i just have, can't I have do. a very strong sense of self-worth that doesn't need a whole lot of validation i know that i i obviously like putting things out in the world i like that people are watching it mm -hmm. but that seems to be like at that point well a whole bunch of people watched it that's good now i gotta go make something else and i don't know that's that's the perfect way to yeah. go about it though like that's the attitude more people need to have it's just like you're not look uh, and I've said this before, I don't want to be making art for a void, right? I'm not right. just screaming into the emptiness of space and just being like, what's the point of making this art? Like, yeah, I want people to watch it, but it's not, it's still at the end of the day, not for them, right? I want people to see it. I want people to enjoy it and be entertained by it. But at the end of the day, it's for me. Right. It's not, you, it's yeah, not you, for other people. I'm doing have this, this for myself. You have this great thing in your head and you have to make it real in some fashion. You got to make it some percentage real. Like, you know, those like third edition illusion spells. This You got to get a phantasm that's at least 40% real. So it's there and it has some effect yes. on the world, even though it's, even though it, you know, it's, it's not good, 100%. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, it's just. <laughs> but it's also, it's something, the thing about, the thing why, when we're doing it with D&D, &D, is that it's also more than because I have all kinds of great stuff in my head and scripted things I want to make, but there's something that makes it extra cool that you do it with your friends. Like the the events that happen, you didn't totally control those. You you were back and forth, and if people added in things that you never would have thought of, and that both for, forces you to sort of push your boundaries, but it also just makes it their thing as well. And so that makes it much more interesting. Like it's very easy to get stuck and sick of. Even though I like, I'll make a project. I'll try and write story that like that is just me. Like I'm just writing a story, and it's great, and I love it. But I'll get farther ahead of it in my head. And the problem is, the longer you spend on a project, you get a version of it in your head that is much more complete than where the actual project is. 
And it creates this schism where like, you feel like you're doing work that's already been done and you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. It's very, it's so easy to get stuck with that. And I think part of the, the fact making TDDC because it is involves all this contribution from my friends, this massive contribution that they're at least half the story. And since they outnumber me, probably more than half of it is them, even if I'm laying out all the groundwork. That that makes it interesting even going back to it, especially once I started recording the sessions. So I have all these crappy raw recordings, usually not any quality that I could put online, but but it's still it's really great because I can go back and find all these things that I didn't remember and all these great lines that they had and yeah. funny reactions and stuff like that. And that keeps it fresh for me. So and, and I, it also makes it feel like I have a little like this obligation to convey their awesomeness. And sometimes they're not as awesomeness because that's hilarious, too. They all have great moments of awesome and occasional moments of whoops. Yeah. And that stuff just makes it great. One of the one of the things I realized with like writing uh scripts for the Peace Guild is that we played uh in, in when I was in China in the Peace Corps. Like that's that's that origin story. It's like this was a group oh, yeah. where we were in different parts of a foreign country where mm -hmm. nothing around us is familiar and the only thing that we had to look forward to that was like sort of reminded us of home and just that familiarity was going off into a gothic horror world that we're trapped in and trying to escape from it's kind of you know there's a bit of a a yeah. bit of a parallel there in a way because like we're kind of stuck here for two years let's be stuck in barovia for two years too why not um yeah it was a lot of fun and we played on discord for the majority of it uh we did like all of our rolling and our spell lookups and stuff like that and so i now have this record I can go back into our Discord chat, into those logs, into like 2017, and look oh, at what yeah. we were typing. And I have pulled lines from that. I've I've written notes, and then I like if something was like intriguing, I want to know more about it. I put it off to the side, and then I talk to the player. I'm like, "Do you remember this? What what was the context for this? I want to know." And like having the players available to like ask those questions, having the discord log. And then at some point I did start actually taking notes and like writing down what the turns were for like important combats and stuff. Yeah. Um, so helpful. So helpful. Having recordings yeah. I can only imagine is like peak helpfulness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's a lot, there'll be advantage to that too, though, because there's sometimes we get, what I, what I hate is that I don't have the maps most of the time. There are a lot of the maps where I might have like a, a map that's on paper or I might have drawn something out yeah, on the yeah. grid there. But re there's a lot of reconstruction that goes into, even though if I have the full recording without being able, without having taken pictures at the table, there's a lot of reconstruction that goes on like where how the hell they were positioned that created this attack of opportunity and little stupid things like that. So yeah, I with mean, homebrew too, because like you're making. I mean, all right, that's something we haven't really touched too much on either. Is that you like built all this? Like you said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the guy building Legos, but like no, really though, you everything's homebrew from like ground up, and like uh, I've had a few other people on the podcast before who just do all homebrew, and like I'm always yeah. amazed because it's like the scope of something like that is just outrageous. With Curse of Strahd, I'm lucky. I could just buy the book, which I did, and I'm like, oh, here's the maps. Yep. So it's like I don't need to do any of that, but like that's easy route, you know, like having to reconstruct uh, everything. I can't imagine like the well, logistics yeah. that go into that. Yeah, at least I 
I like like building a world initially. I I, I did a couple of things. I said, I'm I want there to be a reference point because because when when we started this and I didn't know I was going to make videos later on or anything, but just for the players' benefits, like if I'm going to make this world. I've noticed like a lot of homebrew it's very easy to walk into a homebrew thing and have no idea what's going on. And your players, like your characters kind of don't know what's going on, even though they should. So I thought one of the things I do is I'm going to just say a thousand years ago, we did a Lord of the Rings, you know, in uh, Rick and Morty, they're like swearing, oh man, we got to do a fucking piece of shit. Star Wars. It was like a thousand years ago in my world, they did a fucking piece of shit. Lord of the Rings. That's what I have, and I said that, but I have that point. That's a thousand years ago, so things can have changed a lot, but that gives everyone this sort of frame of reference. The dwarves lived in their mountains, and they were, and two of the three dwarf holds got wiped out. The orcs, like, tried to take over, and then they got beaten back, and then their, this, their land got cursed and turned into a desert, so there are hardly any orcs left. But everything, it's so much easier for people to immediately jump in when there's, there's this common reference point. Say, it's like Lord of the Rings, but this like lord of the rings but that yeah and even though i wasn't doing that explicitly so much just mentioning it like once and then all these other things it gets it very easy for them to figure out what sort of world they're in what sort of expectations and it's a common history too so now they just felt more grounded the whole time i'm not saying everyone should do that with lord of the rings because we all know we all have too much lord of the rings in our right. worlds yeah but there's, there's an idea of that. I think that there's some way that you should, it'd really be beneficial, whatever kind of game you want to do. If you, it'd be just cool if you said, like, 50 years ago, they did a big trouble in Little China. And that's where, and then we're 50 years later, and that's the kind of world that I'm building. Or, you know, 50, you know, 50 years ago, they did a Star Wars or whatever, kind of, like, really. Uh, yeah, a reference two, point, essentially. Uh, yeah, Something five, that, 500 years ago, yeah. it was like, the first book of dune and then we ignored all the other books of dune because that's not what i'm doing but you just having some little thing like that it doesn't have to have that much impact on your game but it it's like a cheating way of giving people this reference that gives them immediately they have an idea in their heads of the feel and their idea might be a little different than yours that's okay too because they've got a part in making the game too but uh i find that, found that that was a really useful cheat for me and then from there i'm just I'm building up all like the figure out the cosmology myself and figure out sort of a timeline of things. I think the other, a lot of people do say that they, they, they like my lore and that it feels like there's so much more going on in the world. And part of that is a, just like I, I built up a time. I figure out what happened and I figure out the relationships between nations and stuff like that. So I like to have that idea of how, what other things might be going on in the world. But another big part of it is just having some stories within the world. So they did, they did their Lord of the Rings a thousand years ago, and there are a couple of legends that we, we bring into the story really early where you hear about that. And it maybe gives you an idea, A, of the past, B, that there's a lot more in the world than you, but C, it might also have some little inkling in it that might tie into something that you're going to deal with in the campaign as it goes forward. Have you written or published anything about your setting? Uh, I haven't, no. They, I mean, I have. I do all the extras videos. Every episode of TDDC, I do an extras video, and I talk a lot about the lore in there, and now nowadays I answer a lot of questions from patrons in there. I mean, I, ans I answer questions all over my Discord from basically anyone, because my Discord isn't patrons only. I just, like, yeah, people can come into my anyone who likes TDC. They see a link at the bottom of the video. They go in there and 
they're like, hey, what's up with this? And I'll tell them, or I won't tell them because it has to do with future stuff. And right. like, Sorry, no spoilers. But uh, they can discuss things. There's a fan theories room, so they can go crazy trying to guess what's going to happen down the road. But uh, but yeah, one of the it's actually really helpful having other people ask me questions about the world. Because when, when somebody asks you a question about the world, they're kind of like three options. One, you know the answer, and you can just tell them. Two, you don't know the answer, or the answer is something that you can't tell them. So mm -hmm. he said, sorry, I can't answer that. And three, the answer is something, the question is just something you didn't really think of. So then Every time somebody asks you a question yeah. about your world that you haven't thought of, or you have like a vague idea, but when they ask the question, now you're thinking of how would I answer this, it forces you to think more about some events that happened in the past, or just why is this thing that way? And every time you answer one of those questions to yourself, you are building the world in your mind, mm -hmm. at least. But yeah, I don't, I, don't have a, I don't have anything resembling a published campaign setting because that would take away a whole bunch of time from the right. episodes, which already take too long. So I'm sure, I'm sure your problem. fans are just thankful to have the episodes so that they can just consume that. Yeah, uh, for the for the most part, yeah, they would they would like more of them. But on, on they they haven't been coming out any faster since I quit my job. But they have been getting longer, so the actual amount of TDDC, like the number of minutes of TDDC that came out in the last year, I, I think has gone up, even though the number of episodes has not, and has possibly gone down. Uh, yeah, I've noticed this past year that, so ever since COVID started, some things had changed. And it's not just because of COVID, but just coincidentally, uh, I like got more involved in the in the community as a whole so like before that i was sort of just on my own isolated doing my own thing and like aware mm -hmm. of other people like even in 2019 i did an inktober i think i drew you too along with a bunch of other creators like i there's people i was aware of but like i didn't really talk to many people yeah and then i started the podcast uh that was at the beginning of 2020 COVID happened right after that so it's like around the same time as when I started to actually meet people and get involved in the community. And I noticed that even though I was like on lockdown and I wasn't actively working for a lot of COVID, I yeah. wasn't making anything quite faster because I was also doing a lot of other stuff with other people. I had like spread out and like I had more time for all sorts of different things, which I'm thankful for because it kept me sane. You know, because yeah. I like it's one thing when you choose to be a shut in and like make your art and stuff and the world goes yeah. on around you. And it's another thing when everybody has to be shut in and you're not really allowed to go to the places that you would otherwise go to relax. Yeah. Um, So it's like this. This kind of helped me through it. But like my main thing was I didn't get faster like I thought I would either because I was like, well, yeah, I, I so thought I would get faster and. <sighs> I think I think what it is is like it I got I got bigger in the sense of like I my scope yeah, exactly. for what I wanted to do grew. Um yeah. and that's another reason why I'm doing the blender thing is like I I need a program one that's free. That's just a given. Mm -hmm. uh, and then like two having the 3D aspect and a camera that moves in 3D space is op it opens up so many doors. And doesn't really close that many. Like some of the stuff that I miss from Adobe, I'm already kind of learning how to do without. And the if I can learn how to make 3D objects, I can make settings in 3D. 
a time sink for sure, but then an asset that you can just reuse again and again and again going forward, which is like really attractive. There's only like, like three or four actual, like, uh, I would say like, uh, cities or whatever in, in, in Barovia. So it's like, I only need to do like four complicated settings and then the castle and everything else Mm -hmm. can just be drawn. It's fine. You know? No, that's pretty cool. I think uh, I don't think that's going to work for me because especially when we go to TDDC two, I'm going to have to have all these entirely like very different places. They're going to they're going to do some stuff on boats. They're going to go some yeah way 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 different place. They start out in Bankton, which we've seen before, but I got to do it slightly better because been thirty episodes since then. But then they but then they're going to go off into a different part of the world. So I'm going to need all these new assets and like different dungeons. Oh yeah, and things. Well, like yeah, that anyway. in- interiors and dungeons and stuff. I mean, I'm still going to draw everything, but like having being able to frame it in a 3D space. Like, yeah. for example, I could just place like a cube or like a wall and just wall mm-hmm. stuff off and create like a room or like a, a space that I can just generally understand where the barriers are going to be. Then I can move my camera around. And I could be like, okay, well, uh, this is the camera angle I want. I can like take a little snapshot, put it in a different program, and then just draw the background in along those vertices or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see where that's appealing. I'm, I'm, I'm not defending Adobe at all. They're like a terrible oh, evil yeah. corporation. <laughs> no, no, but no I accusations here. In, I am locked into their ecosystem, which is what it, their ecosystem is designed to do. It's designed to lock you in. So I would, I don't, I don't really want to spend the time both learning and also converting or redoing all my assets yeah, for yeah, a it's thing. a sink because like otherwise i could have immediately started working on an episode right after january i don't know how yeah. far i'd be but taking the time to learn blender i feel like i'm in a stronger position even though it will take more time and hopefully yeah. maybe this time it will be faster i don't know we'll yeah. see <laughs> yeah that's that is always the hope uh don't don't hope don't pin your hopes too hard yeah, on it like yeah keep, keep, keep chasing uh, asterisk, that dream. asterisk yeah. keep chasing that dream of it'll be faster just don't let yourself get so attached that you get disappointed if and when it's maybe not as faster as you were hoping yeah but i think i think what i'm learning is just I, another thing another reason is like mm-hmm. i i know a lot of people are learning blender i know a lot of people i know already know it mm-hmm. i might want to start getting other people on the project for the art stuff so that I don't do everything yeah. because I know that does make it go faster. Delegating that, that out make, tasks. Yeah. If you could get to the point, if you, if you know the people and if you can not be spending more time in administration and negotiation and stuff like that, you can have a team that's actually working together well. I worry about that because I am such a like super loner and I'd have to find people and then deal with people. And nope. again, so... Well, like I had, I ran my Patreon, my big Patreon campaign. Cause I had a, I had a little Patreon and it was like, okay, here's the amount of money I need to be able to live on where I could just quit my job and do this. And we got, and I said, we're going to call it operation. Awesome. Unemployment. <laughs> we got there and yeah, I still, I really need to make a new Patreon like ask video on a page. Cause it's super old and I want to reflect better that the, the episodes are not more frequent but they are longer <laughs> but i but i also have i feel this pressure it's not n- coming from them for the most part but i feel a lot of pressure that i've got to keep producing because i've got all these people who are supporting me that's that's something i i, I mean i only got like five patrons but even to those five i i feel that pressure too and then i i remember like when i do make posts 
None of them look at my posts. They just want to support me. I'm like, I just need to do my thing and not worry so much about it. I I did make sure when I was deciding how am I going to do a Patreon and what am I going to offer? Because I knew that I wasn't going to, I didn't want to create a lot of gated content. Same, yeah. I didn't want to spend a whole bunch of time creating things that very few people would see. So there's a, there's a fairly limited amount of that kind of stuff. And I needed to make sure that whatever I was doing, it wasn't going to take a horrendous amount of my time. But I wanted it to also, I wanted, so it, it, A, I had to make it clear that they're supporting me to support me so that I can keep making stuff. And it's not, it's not as transactional as some things are. It's not like you do this and then I'll give you this or I'll send you stickers right. or whatever that I would have to spend time making and all that stuff. But uh, it, it, it's hard because I don't, I don't like, I don't like asking for money either, <laughs> but now I've, I don't know, I'm, I'm very fortunate in how well it's gone. I have a, a small, very strong community that's a, tremendously supportive of me, and so far it's working out. Yeah, the, the other thing I was saying though is that when I, when I, uh, so when I did that, I, I finally quit my job in like August of 2019. <laughs> so... I went and like secluded myself and then I am such a gigantic loner that when the pandemic came like and everyone locked down, well, I locked down super hard. I followed all the lockdown stuff more than what they were like. I went out for the absolute minimum possible things. I'd like walk to the grocery store like once a month or whatever. And then I'm just like, it didn't change my life that much because that's how big an introvert I was. But on the other hand, like you, I've been actually getting more social and I was, I didn't, I did this for years and never had any communication with the community at all. And then sometime around that time, like somebody else made me a discord. <laughs> I didn't have a discord. Like, I don't know what to do. It's like this, this other, this other guy, I don't remember his, his username is a uh, crab something. I think he's still got an admin role. He hasn't showed up very much. Not, not crit he, crab, he went right? Just, like made a dis. Crit crab. Uh, no, I, I don't think crab, so. Okay. I was going to say crit crab not... reads Reddit stories. He's a cool guy, but I wouldn't expect him to make a discord server. I no, I don't think it's him. I think it's a oh, okay. just a coincidence there. But this guy, this guy, this person makes me a discord and then gives control of it to me. So he, he's no longer in control of it. He's just like, here's, you have a discord what now. A bastard. And what a now I spend, move. now I'm on there like all day long, like all the time and answering questions from people and people are posting memes and junk like that fan theories and I stuff mean. so it's kind of crazy and then yeah i've started you and and one or two other people have kind of got me sucked into the like finding out about the other people who are doing the dnd animations we're, and, we're all coming together we're gonna be at the justice league of dnd animators <laughs> yeah something like that it's i mean it's it's cool I, i'm really super thankful just to be able to like speak with other creators because like i mean there are still people that just have chosen to be do doing their own thing and that's completely fine you know like that there's no requirement like you don't have to no one has to be like on friendly like hey we're now best friends because we make similar content like no no people can do their own thing it's fine but it is nice to have that community there because it's like now i can bounce ideas off of of like you and other people and like is this a good idea like already you were talking we were talking about the podcast intro and like yeah. and, and just stuff about that and i was like I, the biggest reason I don't make it shorter is because I commissioned it to my cousin and I paid money for it. And also the song was even longer than that. And I shortened it. And I'm like, 
I just refuse on principle to make it any shorter. People that can't sit through that, then fuck it. I'm not, you know, they're, they're lost. Yeah, I, I don't know, though, because I just, I, I look at a lot of things, and I often feel dumb giving advice sometimes, because I, I've given a bunch of, like, I did, for a while I made some, like, D&D advice type videos, and a lot of them are not exactly what I do, even the advice that I give. But it's like there's someone's got a, a question or an issue, and I think through like I try and break down a way to make that bet make that better, make that work for them. And it's something similar. Like I had one video where I suggested, well, how do you add depth to your campaign world? You could do it with a timeline, which is I didn't have the I didn't do it in quite the same mechanistic way, but it's still I created that timeline where it's like here's my Lord of the Rings ish war and then here's where like the gods did whatever and here's later on where the dwarves moved to their new place and they have all these things and once you have the timeline you can just go in there and every day if you want to you could just go and think of something and slot it into your timeline and if you just keep doing that eventually you're going to have a whole history there which is kind of what i did but i didn't think about it that way i didn't have like a mechanism i was just like making shit up right yeah but he's trying to turn that into advice for people. And I still, I feel very weird giving advice because I haven't, I don't know if the, like a lot of the people in the community, especially the animators community have run and played a lot more D and D than I have. I think really, even though I've been doing it for for like decades. I, I don't is know. It Cause I'm you just, just have like one or two very long running campaigns. Would you say basically? Yeah, I see. But that's what I want and, though. Like I play a lot of D and D, but it's spread out. And it's like lots of different characters and it's like I'm constantly putting on different hats and I'm a little tired. Like I can't get super sucked into a world like I used to. I've made some characters and I've played in little campaigns that never go very long. So I I wouldn't mind the opportunity. Like being a GM is pretty cool because you do get to play all the characters in the world and you can do all the voices. And Well, I remember back when I was just built. And I had to go in there and, you know, clean out the creation forge. Boy, that was a mess. But you can, you can just, there's, so being a GM is great for that. But as a GM, and you've been a GM for a long time, and you don't get that much opportunity to play and stick with characters, you kind of want to have that character that has, like, the big complicated backstory and go through, like, a Deep Space Nine character arc with them right, or something. yeah, and like, yeah. Or, and then also you get these character ideas where like you get to play characters so often that you get these dungeon master like character ideas where you're coming up with ways to like to wedge in that you're kind of like playing more than one character is like oh yeah we've got split personalities for my changeling is or like yeah well i there's a you you think this is my character, but it's actually the sword is the character is just controlling is just controlling that body, and then if something happens to go wrong, then uh, you might have a different person on your hands, and they might not be too happy, or maybe they made a deal with the sword, and that's why it's been right. in control all this time. I think I think I've struggled now with like I make a lot of I played so much five e that like mm-hmm. I can't make a character that isn't some weird gimmicky thing anymore. Because, like, it's boring now to just play one class and stick with one class. Like, I get it. I understand it too well. It's not adventurous for me. It's not exciting for me to think about. And enough people play just regular, like, we're fighting goblins. Like, that's not interesting to me anymore. I know what goblins are. I know how they act and behave. Yeah. That's not, you know, a surprise. Oh, you see 
uh, a floating creature, and she's ethereal, and she's, her jaw descends when she sees you, and she screams, I'm like, it's a banshee. Well, yeah. you don't know that it's a banshee. I'm like, yeah, but I fought banshees before. Oh, you see a cow man in a labyrinth that's a minotaur. Like, I know what they all are. I need, like, new, sh- yeah. new shit to fight. I need new builds to play because I, I don't oh, feel no. stimulated uh, mechanically. And I've, I've, I've got a number of people who I really respect who are like, the thing that ruins D&D for me are people who focus too much on the mechanics of what their character did, would do and not enough on the roleplay. And I'm like, but I play so many different games, I don't even get a chance to get sucked in. So if all I'm doing what? is just playing like short little spurts of like these characters, then it's the mechanics that keep me you know, locked in place because it's, it's like, you know, during combat, I'm like, oh, okay, this works differently than this other character that I play. Yeah, when I, when I make characters, I do a lot of, I want to have the character be very interesting to me, which, but I also want to mess around with mechanics. When my idea, I'm not trying to optimize to make the best character necessarily. I usually find something that I like that is kind of effective, or maybe it's not even that effective. And then I want to make it effective. I want to make sure my character overall is effective and useful. But I'm going to do it based around whatever thing it is that I like that I decide. I'm this, like a 5e, I'm doing. I decided that Witchbolt is going to be my thing, and I'm going to go through every goddamn book and find some way to make a Witchbolt like mage that is useful, even though Witchbolt may not be the ideal thing. But like, right. it, but I've decided it's cool. I'm going to force lightning people with Witchbolt, and that's what I'm going to do. So I got to find ways to not get interrupted and to milk this thing for all its or just some idea like that. Yeah. But I tend to do a lot of. When I'm building a character, especially in 3.5, which I know what very well, and there are like a million classes and builds and stuff right. like that you can do, I I tend to, I, it doesn't matter what I start with, whether it's like the the character like concept or like or the mechanics, like what which class I want to play or something. I tend to go back and forth a lot of times. So like, I'm going to be a warlock, and what's my my patron going to be like, and what's my character is going to be like, and then I started looking at. So I've started with the mechanics there, but I started thinking of what they're going to be like roleplay wise. And then I go back and I find ways to reinforce that with the mechanics. And I find ways to take those mechanics and make them more interesting for my character, you know, reflavor things and say, you know, yeah, I just, I like going back and forth a whole bunch of times until I get something that's very into what they're, what they physically do in the game is very integrated with who they are. I, I mean, I'm doing that right now, and I've got a game that I'm in called Antumbra. It's a stream game with some other creators like Captain Cheeky, Vitamin Dieter, Eldritch Sugar, uh, Fell the Leb, and it's a very fun game that we stream every Monday on Captain Cheeky's channel. And I play a uh, Efreet Genasi, like a fire Genasi woman. Yeah. Um, and she's basically like my idea is she, i want to make a mad uh, like a barbarian type character that's mm-hmm. not a barbarian at all and is actually like a a wizard blade singer with a few levels of blood hunter and like it works out really well once it starts to get off the ground but because it's a multi-class it takes a while in the meantime everybody's better at me than at everything i never finish off yeah. at anything i got this like boisterous character that's like a pirate and wants to like do really well in combat and never gets the finishing blow. And so like the way that I thought I was going to roleplay this character is ending mm-hmm. up being very different than how I actually am roleplaying her because I thought she was going to be the reckless one that charges in, you know, doesn't go down. I made her very good at not just outright going to zero hit points. I don't think she's been mm-hmm. knocked to zero yet. 
Um, but like, she doesn't. She's not like she's a tank. I made a tank wizard, yeah, which is a weird concept. And we have an actual wizard who does fire spells that are more potent than the actual fire lady that I play. So they call yeah. the other wizard the real fire lady, and I'm just the one that looks like she's a fire lady. And then Don't. we've got an actual barbarian rogue multi-class guy who's yeah. like he hits harder than I can hit. Um and mm -hmm. and does kind of he's also a pirate, so he's like the stronger of the two pirates. Uh and then there's another guy who's playing a paladin, and they're a paladin. So if I ever 1v1 them, they'd smack me down with a smite faster than I could do anything. Like and they're a yeah. tabaxi too, so if I tried to run away, they just D -d -d -d. so like I can't outcompete pretty much anybody in this group. And even roleplay wise, the most reckless person is the other pirate. He's like super duper reckless. Yeah. So I'm sitting here with this character, like, now what do I do with this character? Like, how do I play this character that's like I envisioned was going to go in uh, one direction and is now there's all these other niches that have been filled. What niche do I fill now? What that's that's it's a kind of an interesting concept. And the reason I bring it up is because the way that I've ma I tried to make her different and more like unique, like away from what everybody else is doing. So I don't like step yeah. on anyone's toes is reflavoring. Like you mentioned, I basically yeah. all my spells are fire based. So like, yeah. uh, lightning lure, the cantrip where you can like shoot out mm -hmm. some lightning and then like whip it out at them and pull them. It's a Baylor whip. Now it's like a fire whip from, uh, you know, the yeah. Balrog of Morgoth, right? Uh, and then yeah. instead of misty step, it's smoky step. Poof. You know, a brimstone yeah, smoke, right? Uh, Nightcrawler yep. type of teleport, and then uh, what was the other one? When Five E early, when early when Five E came out, people complained a lot that there just weren't enough options and stuff like that. But I don't know what it is about the Five E system. It just feels like it's so easy to take the abilities that you like mechanically and just reflavor them to whatever the hell you want. And it's one of those things. There are some classes that I like and some classes that I don't like. Like I like martial arts stuff but i don't think there's a single game edition where i've liked the monk class mechanically i just always hate how like they never work well in the game or at least they never work how i want them to yeah. work if i but if i could still play a, i would play a monk in 5e no problem it's just that my class would not involve monk i'd be like a barbarian yeah with like unarmed brawler because a, bar, a barbarian uh, or unarmored and you can be like a karate cop where you've just like hardened your body and takes it but you don't even that you don't you could just ignore that and just flavor it that you're still dodging stuff and mechanically it works just fine you'd be a, a, like a barbar couple barbarian levels and go rogue rogue does tremendous amounts of damage with the sneak attack and stuff yeah. like that you just have it's because the monk requires wisdom so it's like now you're mad because you've got to have all these uh physical components to make our truly yeah. good monk and also wisdom on the side. By the way, you need that for your. It's like ah, it's just a lot. So yeah, most people don't I didn't like their, go into strength. I didn't like their abilities much anyway in five E with the Kai points. So I kept. I can't. I can't ever stop looking at it. Like, look at these things you can do with Kai points and getting the extra attack. Yeah, okay, that's pretty good. I think it, but it's I think also it's not that interesting. I've never heard. I never heard it pronounced Kai. I, 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 like I was like Kai points. Oh, key. Like like chi or yeah, chakra, I, right? I don't know, like DBZ Kai, like that's oh. how I pronounce it. So hmm. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I, I think I think that's a. I think that I don't know or really care which one is right. <laughs> You're like I the think monk that sucks anyway, so it doesn't matter. They're both pronunciations <laughs> that are out there, but that's that's not the point. The point is you can do things like you can spend a free extra attack and that's fine. But like the, a lot of the other things that they can do with their Kai points at the early levels, 
you look at like what's a level two rogue do level two rogue can do all those things the exact same all day long at no cost you get like your bonus action mm-hmm. sprint and your bonus and like yeah i mean the thing so so i have a multi-class monk for a lot of builds mm-hmm. and the reason i like monk is it's mobility options i understand cunning action gives you that bonus action dash whenever you want yeah but and disengage uh yeah but uh with the the monk you have the option of step of the wind doesn't just give you a dash it also increases your jump distance by two mm-hmm. and uh, a factor of two if you also have access to the jump spell which increases it by a factor of three you can increase it by a factor of six i've used yeah. this on the tall tales game i played with runesmith where i made mm-hmm. an easter bunny build where I, I i jumped i leaped with a satyr i leaped i think 85 feet up into the air maneuvered my horns and just pile drive the easter bunny i took falling damage but that thing was just gone so like you can use mechanics of the monk if you're looking for mobility especially like fast movement at level two or unarmored movement rather uh instead of having to wait until like level five barbarian to get it or something like that and it keeps going up like you can get really fast as a monk and that can be really useful on a battlefield yeah and but it can also in a lot of situations not like I, mobility is great, but there are also a lot of situations where that the the quarters are too tight. That extra speed doesn't really make any difference compared to just having the bonus action dash or bonus action disengage. If you can just attack and then go back around a corner, that's a, in a lot of situations there's no difference whether you can move an extra sixty feet after that. I guess. Well, I guess it just depends on like. Also, is your uh, DM a theater of the mind person, or is your DM a? Well, there's. There's no regular DM because everyone starts little games and then we play it for a few sessions and then it sort of peters right, out. Right, yeah. And I mean generally for listeners too because like if you don't have yeah. a a map, then mobility isn't going to be super important because if it's theater no. of the mind, a lot of times, almost all the time, my DMs are like, yeah, you're 30 feet away. Like every time they yeah. just go like, yeah, you're within movement distance. So it's like you don't need mobility with those types of games because generally you're yeah. always going to be close enough. Uh, to get to your opponent, or you'll have some answer that you can do, and it's all in your head anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like I again, I hadn't actually been playing Dini for a long time. We've been doing all board games and now virtual board games with with the pandemic and stuff because we haven't been meeting for D anD D. And I know we could do stuff online, but I also there's this little bit of pressure you get when you've got this like video series. It's like sixty videos long, and I want to go back to that campaign, but some things have changed, and we got a couple some personnel changes and stuff like that. And I got to, there's a lot of pressure, like whatever do, it's got to be awesome. And I, I got to get around that pressure so I can get back to actually doing it. Not that I'm going to run out of content anytime soon. No, no. With TDDC too, that's going to go on for years at the rate I do it. I mean, yeah, things but, change. Like even, even. But the uh, thing is, I, I've got to get back into that. Part of it is I need to get over my over planning a little bit too much because I'm really the one who wants to over plan. I'm, when I'm sitting there, and it was, it was when I was doing a job that was a little bit more menial, like required less brain power. That was that was working for me because at work there'd be a bunch of time when I was doing something that didn't that required like thirty percent brain, and then the rest of my brain's off there like planning the next adventure, thinking of things that can happen. But I, I like to plan like okay, I know where we are now, and the next session, well, I know what's going to happen next session because we're kind of like locked in. But after that, I don't know where they're going to go. 
So I'm trying to figure out, okay, based on how they add, I think they're going to do one of these two things. So I've got to mostly plan those two things. And then, but they also might do things three or maybe four. And there's like this list of decreasing probabilities. And I got to try and figure out for, if they do one of those things, I don't want to be left with my pants down. Now I'm not going to sit around <laughs> and plan five adventures because I'm not insane. Not quite that insane. But I still, I need to figure out, I need to have like at least so like a one line or a one paragraph in my mind of what kind of things I can do if they take this direction that is, I think, unlikely based on their behavior. But you don't know because they could do anything. Right. Yeah. And, and I, uh, one, of, one of the reasons that I kept having that like gameplay would like the game would slow down or we missed weeks or I like switched over to the second campaign is because get a little bit burnt out when my job became a little bit more brain power intensive like i was doing semi-menial stuff and then they fit, found out that i had computer programming background and they're like could you start making some stuff for us around the office and then my job became way more like fulfilling and interesting but that now when you're doing creative stuff at work all day it became incredibly hard it's to taxing, come to yeah to plan to run the D, D campaign and then also be like making videos about the D, &D campaign right I mean, I mean, well, that's the thing about like work that a lot of people I know. This is this is a bit off the topic of D and D and stuff, but like yeah. I know people who just do physical labor all the time, and they mm -hmm. to them work is physical. And so if you're sitting at a desk, and that's your job, they don't have respect for whatever you're doing. Like they, oh, that's not that's not work. I lift big tree trunks of lumber all day or i'm working in a factory or a warehouse and doing all this and it's like that's that's work too but like you can also kind of shut your brain off and just go through the motions with that kind of stuff whereas like when you're yep. sitting at a desk yeah you're not like moving around that much maybe but like you're calculating and thinking up stuff being creative trying to make stuff look good you're using your judgment your brain's yep. active and working and working until yeah, you know, for eight hours, and then you got to go home and do your creative shit too with D and D. Like when I was going to work and programming for eight hours a day, or more likely programming for five hours a day, and problem solving like coworker stuff mm -hmm. and trying to like find out what they want, and I got to like plan ahead for the next project. And some jackass would call a meeting instead of just answering my email <laughs> and stuff like that. That's really draining on the the exact things that you need, the exact mental resources that you need to be doing creative stuff so right of course that's why i thought operation unemployment would make things go faster and they went instead of faster they went different but anyway so yeah to try and get over my over planning though just in the last month or so it started i started i i made this rule system it was like not D, &D i made this like rpg rule system there's like barely a system <laughs> where it, it, the idea was just to set it up so we technically had some methods for adjudicating things but really it's to be improv based the person says, like, I want to do this. It's like, I want to hotwire a motor, hotwire that motorcycle, or I want to, like, break down a door, or I'm going to try and bash this guy in the head and have the, like, the simplest possible system for that. There, there aren't, there literally aren't even movement rules in my system. That's how theater of the mind it is. But the idea is that I really have no idea what they're going to do because of the, because I, end up being i i said i so i just told them it was like comedy horror maybe sci-fi sort of thing mm -hmm. and make make three characters because there's some reasonable chance of dying yeah <laughs> and then we get started and the idea is by the end of the first session they found like the portal gun from rick and morty my God. so now 
everything is on the table, right? So you have to, finding motivation for them is actually the harder part. But it means that when they do something, they say, well, okay, we're just going to pop over to a new dimension. It's like, what's going what's gonna to be in this new dimension? And then they, like, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And I have to find, so I'm trying to, it's trying to break me out of the over planning a little bit. Yeah. Which then, then you realize that I have like a spreadsheet here and I've got a whole bunch, I've got some like point form, like ideas for that. This is maybe a plot I could throw. If they, maybe, a, maybe they'll find a dimension. If they go to another dimension, because they could at any time, like there's, there's basically no control as a, even as a GM, I have very little control at all over what's going to happen. They could at basically any time choose like, yeah, we don't like what's going on here. <laughs> and right. just portal to an, a place they've been before or a new place just to get out of there. So yeah, I mean, that you might be uh, faced with that. We've run, we've run two sessions of that so far and that's uh it's it's we're having fun so far. I don't know how long I can keep it going before we run out of momentum because some of the, it when they have all the power in the universe in a sense, it it becomes a whole different thing like what yeah motivated. i mean but i mean rick and morty are always they've got all the power in the universe and yet they still find challenges and stuff i think that's a good actually that's a good lesson to take is like you could probably still make it's interesting the, the tough part is motivating them though like yeah. what actually motivates them and a lot of what rick and morty go through is that they're not super motivated to do the things that or like one of them's motivated and the other one's like over yeah, it yeah why are, why are we why are we going to this stupid place yeah exactly yeah. We'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I, I mean, that's awesome. I, I, I've seen a lot of people trying to do more, like, improv-based stuff yeah. now to kind of move away from just thinking about the rules and, and things like that's that. Right. I try and... The, my, my barely a rule system, I, I wrote in... Like, I put in a little thing for luck, basically. The idea is, when I describe a scene, I'm never going to completely describe a scene because you can't. It's all a hundred, like a million percent theater of the mind, like more like D and D theater of the mind goes so far, but usually you have a little bit more idea what's going on. If we're in modern times or future stuff, it gets really hard to describe like what is in an environment. So the idea is if I don't describe something in an environment, you can just ask for it. It's like, is there a fire extinguisher in a hallway? And as a GM, like I can say yes or no. If it, it's like, yes, there's a, if you're enough a hospital hallway of course there's gonna be a fire extinguisher or no you're in like a truck there's not a fire extinguisher like in the back of a truck or whatever but if it's in doubt at all i say here's roll a roll a d i'm gonna say i i'm not sure if there's a i'm gonna say roll a roll a four plus like roll a d6 and if you get a four or higher then you will find something similar to what you were looking for that you can use or maybe it maybe it's harder maybe it's cooler i gave them they could have luck points to manipulate the rule. Like if they really want to find, they really need to find a drill on this construction site. And I said it was only like a four or plus, two of them could spend one luck points. And now there's a two or higher. If they, if they fail, they don't spend their luck points. But if they succeed, regardless of what they roll, I take away those two luck points, but they find the thing that they needed somehow. But yeah, uh, the, I, I like the I like a luck system or just adding like a luck stat in 5e or even Pathfinder 3.5. Like having another ability score just opens up a lot of doors, I think. Yeah, well, that's uh, not what like you're going to find in barely a system because barely a system only has three ability scores. <laughs> Uh, not gonna, let's not derail the whole podcast no no that's not derailing We're ta- that's like it, that's a tabletop yeah. RPG it's on topic also we can talk about whatever it's totally fine Yeah. although we are reaching an hour uh, so I think we'll probably end it pretty soon 
Uh, I, I, I guess I want to end it with one more question then. Uh, so you're, you're, you're kind of a forever DM. Would you say that that's correct? Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't always been, but like in, in our group, if, if I'm doing something, it's the most likely to be one that is going to be stable and keep going for a long period of time. Cause I may, I may get stuck a little bit. I may get burned out sometimes, but I always have more ideas of what we should be doing. It's just like sometimes the getting from here to there gets blocked, but okay. I'm most yeah I'm most likely to be the GM. So can let me ask then, uh, what was a not maybe the but a favorite moment as a DM that you remember and would like to maybe share with me in the audience? <sighs> and it could be like a personal like thing, like yes, my story beats went just as planned, or maybe. Uh, a player subverted your expectations in a way you didn't expect, and it made for a really awesome moment. That's really hard to think of. Get all this stuff in my head of like the the whole like. Think TV back throughout your entire and life and give me one moment to share yeah. on the podcast right now. These questions are not my. These kind of questions are not my forte. <laughs> Good, putting you on the spot. And I can come up with crazy moments from when I was a player. See, I have. All right, yeah, I, that works too. I have a. I have a bunch of stories from back when I was in. Uh, in Ottawa where I went to university and then after university I had with some friends I hung out with there and a few people on my channel would know I had these D&D &D excerpts that I used to write out in text form and that's actually that was the start of TDDC too it was like the the third season of those excerpts was like the first few episodes of TDDC and I just turned it into videos and went from there but the this this there was this guy he was a friend of mine we were roommates and he was like the GM in Ottawa and he we had I'm, i have to get those back on my website the old website exploded and i have to reformat those things because of my crappy two like your 2002 or whatever navigation i had going on mm -hmm. it's not compatible with computers anymore but i'm gonna get those back up because we had these crazy stories okay there was have you ever had dnd that was kind of bordering on bad dnd like i remember you were talking when you were talking with whistle about like being in bad dnd but have you ever had like bad D it's kind of like bad D and D, but it's so bad. It's good. It was bizarre. Like that you, this campaign, you wouldn't believe this. We had, this guy is my, was my, one of my best friends at the time. And he's my roommate. And somehow we had this incredibly toxic relationship between the, the players and the GM just at like at the table, but it was, <laughs> it was amazing somehow even though it shouldn't be probably the adversarial relationship made it exciting. I would think that's it. And if people read another gaming comic, you're going to see that sort of relationship that we is like, is different with the fictional characters in AGC, mm -hmm. but their, their relationship is somewhat inspired by the relationship we had with this GM. Cause he, we would come in every session and he would get everyone to go around the table and introduce themselves and talk about the character. And we go through these rituals every time which annoyed the hell out of some of the players. Yeah, it's like they, we had the one where the guy who played Balkoth the dwarf and you'd get around to him. It's like, Balkoth, please describe your character. And he'd be like, a dwarf. <laughs> what, what kind of a dwarf? He's like, bushy beard, stocky. <laughs> like, what does you, what does your character do? Kill things. <laughs> like, and, and despite that being the tone, we would go through this just about every time. And he would ask that person to like recap the last session. The person who definitely doesn't want to. <laughs> he just wants to start like 
going, making decisions and breaking things. Right. And, and, it, and the CM would also be like, he would, he was always like making homebrew, like rules changes and stuff like that. He was trying to think things that were like unbalanced in the system in his perception and change them. Yeah. And we would have a lot of disagreements about like he didn't like he thought full plate was too good because everyone would everyone would wear like full plate or like chain shirt and like those were the only two armors that were of any value, which is basically just how three three point five edition is designed. Yeah. But he's like, so what if we change full plate to the version from five rings where it's plus seven AC but up to plus two dex bonus? Still, you still have the same total armor class. It's just that it actually requires you to have more than twelve dex. And I was like we're we were strongly against this for some reason and as this relationship would this it, it just got more and more antagonistic but we were still all friends and we would still enjoy we would still get together and play D and go through his campaign and do all these things but we had we had some adventures we did a we did this one module once the the uh the iron it's not the, is it the iron throne the iron fortress we did the Iron Fortress, which is old 3.5 edition module, and uh, Lord of the Iron Fortress. So we're we're going through all this crazy stuff. We because it's a module, we're like playing level like 15 characters or whatever. So we we all build the craziest characters we can, and then we go up and you fight crazy stuff because it's a module. But we went through this whole this whole module. <laughs> fighting all these crazy demons and I'm trying to abuse our abilities as much as we could because you kind of had to, because the difficulty level is really high. So the fact that I was playing like an elemental savant where I'd created one level of spell casting to have most of the properties of an air elemental, including hundred foot, perfect flight, immunity to crits, immunity to electricity, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're like, have a list of like the spell casters. We all had like everyone who was a spellcaster would have like this giant list of daily buffs. People who play fifth edition don't understand this because you look, you're like, well, I'd like to have these three spells going, but two of them are concentration, so I can't. It's like, no, no. We would have like a list. I'm going to cast these these two spells, which last like 20, 24 hours, like they have a one day duration, but I'm going to cast them. I'm going to use extend spell metamagic to cast them one level higher to double their duration because that makes two days, which means I can cast one every second day and alternate so I can have more copies of buffs going. So, so the, this is the level of ridiculous, like yeah, and maxing very and broken sounding. We're, we're doing all this kind of stuff. But we we go through this whole place and we're fighting through. The, we get to the end of the campaign, the titular Lord of the Iron Fortress, and he's got a there's a big like terrible pit that he he's got across us to, and he casts like a thousand buffs on himself somehow. Like he's you get into the room, there are some big nasty demons, and there's this guy who buffs like we look at we examine him, we determine he has a whole bunch of buffs running. And I had a spell that I had been say that I had been memorizing and just had carefully kind of not used for the entire campaign. This is just a spell from the book. It was like Mordenkainen's dispelling screen. And the reason I had not used it the entire campaign, and admittedly, this is not the kind of thing you should ever do in a properly running D and D game. But you have to understand that we had this relationship with the GM where. <laughs> We were trying to thwart each other in different ways all the time. So I had been keeping a spell memorized the whole campaign, never using it, because it's so brutally overpowered in in a sense. You, it's it's just a wall. Is you cast this wall spell? It makes a big wall. You creatures can pass through the wall freely. It doesn't block them in any way. You can see through the wall. 
any creature that passes through it, it's called Mordenkind's Dispelling Screen. So any creature that passes through it All their is going to get... All buffs and auras get gonna, dispelled? It's going to make a dispel check against every oh. one of their buffs. But here's, <laughs> here's the thing that made it ridiculous. It 100%... Like, creatures passing through, they get dispelled. Okay, that's, you know, that's okay. But I could just cast a dispel on the creature. The thing that it did, does is... It is a it is a fourth level spell that creates a wall that 100% blocks spells. You can't cast spells through this wall. Creatures can just walk through it. The Balors on the other side of the pit, they could just fly through it. But they couldn't use any of... They couldn't, like, Meteor Swarm us or whatever crap Balors do from over there. They'd have to fly over the pit and come over to our side to do it. They couldn't range us. That meant the Lord also couldn't do any range stuff. So he had to come through and... Of course, he had to come through and get dispelled in the process. So his level four spell 100% stops them in, a, in an enclosed space from doing any range stuff to us until they pass through it. That's busted. And the guy couldn't pass through it without being dispelled. And my God. We, we tended to operate, and this is kind of why another gaming comic works this way, is that the GM tends to like allow things once because it's like a printed thing in the rules. And it would be kind of like unfair to the player in some bizarre like sense of honor you can't say you get like, it once and then it's like, nerfed like, or it's it, cut out yeah, yeah. I, I let you pick spells from this book you took a spell from this book and i can't just say like your spell doesn't work the first time you use it yeah it would probably be nerfed for the second time but i had saved it through the entire module so the Knowing last fight of the module for the end the right, have yeah. to come through and take us on, on on our own turn and the lord of the iron fortress flies through and I don't even remember if he lost his like flight buff going through and fell in the pit. I don't think so, but he lost so many spells that but he, he came through and he was basically like a nothing like <laughs> where just like melted him whatever, after that. <laughs> whatever whatever ridiculous fighter our like dwarf guy was playing that game, he like just smashed him and we took out the enemies because they had to come closer and stuff like it just thwarted the entire final room. There's can't, can't you dispel the wall itself? Like No, you can't you can't you can't dispel you it, it had to be taken out by ridiculous things like a, i don't remember if you could disintegrate it i know you could definitely take it out with a disjunction because that's like a ninth level spell but it it was it, the, in how that is that old, fourth level that's too powerful that, for fourth in level that old school sort of way it's got all these well somebody who wrote this book who wrote the book that contained that spell thought that it wasn't that bad because you could just walk through it you could shoot arrows through it <laughs> And you could, but oh, you couldn't. Man. You couldn't cast a spell through. You couldn't fireball through. It it's it's an anti magic field, but three yeah, levels lower than where it should be. Like that's crazy. Yeah, just a wall of anti magic field. I mean, you got you kind of have to be in an enclosed space, so they can't just go around it or over yeah, it. But... Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess there are some limitations. That's good. I really like. The, I like that sort of like it's. That's that's where you get a lot of the stuff in another gaming comic, though. It's the spirit of that. That somehow mm -hmm. that campaign where we sit around this table and we're just like against each other in a way that you really should you shouldn't be playing D and E like just public service announcement. You should you should all be trying not to have a D and D game where the DM feels like it's only like a thin sense of honor that is preventing him from killing you, <laughs> and really he's trying to find ways to kill you that are fair. And you're all right. trying to like thwart the GM's will. That's not that's not the proper way to do it. But for some reason, that one table, that one group of guys, it was awesome. Suddenly, it makes sense that you played Magic: The Gathering because that is a Magic: The Gathering yeah. attitude, where it's like we're friends, but I'm not here 
in this game to be your friend. I'm here to kill you and win the game. <laughs> oh yeah. No, there was a there was there was a lot of that going around. Right, right. Well, thank you, Demonac, for sharing. Thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been a really fun chat that I got to have with you. Hopefully, I kept it fairly interesting and passed the Turing test, etc. Uh, well, you know, uh, my panel says that you know they need a little more time with this. To you know, no, it's it's great. It's been a great time, yeah. and I'm really glad that you got to come on. Could you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, you can uh, you can find all my stuff at demonact.com, but mostly it's youtube.com slash demonact. That's where you find Tales from My D&D Campaign. My website, I've, I've finally gotten the whole run of another gaming comic back up on my website on demonact.com up to issue the dreaded issue 631 where it just kind of stopped because I got burnt out. But man, it's it's a hell of a ride if you can survive the ugliness of it and just like enjoy the crazy adversarial like players and gm trying to defeat each other through all these different like campaigns and adventures and stuff like that hell yeah and uh yeah and i'm yeah i'm on twitter at at tales ddc because some stupid spam account took the account name i would have wanted right some some guy some other guy named shane to cool voice shane for me so now i can't have it no like the <laughs> Like, don't go to, don't go to at Demonac on Twitter. It's just an account. It has, like, exactly one tweet that is just, like, a spam reply to something. Is, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But I, same situation they used to have a policy where you could say, like, well, I don't, I own this. That's why, I, that's the main reason I bought Demonac.com. Because they used to have a policy where if you could show that someone was, like, a, in, impersonating you, they'd kind of, like, take, like, they were just squatting your name or something. You could take it. But apparently they changed that policy just just in time that they didn't they don't care what I say. Like you got money now. I have you to buy it or pay. here's my like years of YouTube and like there's no response. There's just whatever. Yeah, they got too big for the britches. But uh, thank you for coming on, and I hope to have you on again sometime. I'm, I don't know about this year, but maybe next year we'll t check in again or something. Yeah, if I ever do anything again, we'll try and <laughs> get back on. Yeah, right, thanks, Shane. <laughs>